International Broadcasting lives on 5085. The big one. WTWW. Please stand by as we get ready to launch another episode of this Reality Radio Cafe Cast with your host and my husband, Denny J, K5DCC. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition, lift off. Now grab your glass and get ready to fill it up with some radio on the rocks. Vehicles pitching downrange. But here's a so little tip for searching the bands to see. Uh, let me turn my scanner off to see uh, what the activity's like. Have you figured out how to put frequencies in memory yet on that 7300? No, not yet. I mean, I'm, I'm barely able to turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a little trick for you. Once you get that figured out, go through and program in all of the FT8 frequencies in a group of memories. So, for example, I've got mine in memory now. I'm starting out on 6 meters, 50.313. Wait a minute. Let me write these down. 50. Dot what three one three one three and i think you can hear the background there's just static noise no activity there go to the next one 28.074 that's 10 okay. meters nothing there the next one 24915 nothing there Next one, 21.074. Just noise. Next one, 18.100. Again, nothing. 20 meters, 14.074. Surprisingly, nothing. Next one, 10.3. Uh, 10.136. And I am hearing a little bit of FT8 signal in the background there. So that band may be iffy, but there's 40 meters now, 7.074. I'm hearing a lot of FT8 signals there. So that would be a good band to call CQ on and single sideband if you wanted. And uh, last one for me is 3.573 which I hear some signals there too. So it looks to me like right now, 40 and 80 are fairly open. I wouldn't say they're real good, but enough to make some contacts. So if you can hear FT8, then you know conditions are, are good enough to make contact. So then you can go up well, to the sideband portion, call CQ or listen for a while, and uh, you should be able to make contacts there. Oh, that's a good... That's a good suggestion. You, using FT, you're so you're using FT8 to see if the band conditions. Yep. yep, because FT8 is like the most popular mode right now. There's always somebody on FT8. You, if there's a if there's an opening, you will hear FT8 signals. It might be one or so, two, but if you can hear it, then you know it's open. Where did you get this listing of frequencies that you have? 
Well, if you do a search, Google search for FT8 frequencies. Okay. Them up all right. Get them all. But that's my first thing. If I'm going to go online, I'll go through those you know, fairly quickly. Just click, 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 click. And when I hear signals, I know, okay, this band is open. Make that note. And then and, uh, do whatever I want to do. If I want to do other digital modes, if I want to do sideband or CW, you know, just because you're not hearing something in the other parts of the band doesn't mean that it's not open. And it used to be back when you and I got our license that uh, everybody called CQ. But anymore, it right. seems like uh, everybody's a lurker. They're just listening. There's nobody there. It's nobody's <laughs> calling CQ. <laughs> so my my first contact was a Canadian ham on Sideman. I made an FT8 contact first, quite by accident. I just I don't know how I did it. <laughs> and uh, so when when something appears on the right side in yellow. That may, well, I thought I had to click on the yellow thing, but you don't, once once something appears on the right side with your calls, that some other ham is calling you, you don't have to click on anything, right? Right. The right panel <clears throat> is what your radio is hearing on that audio frequency. It's your, your waterfall that you're looking at in uh, WSJTX okay. is that frequency and then on that frequency, you've got, you know, 3,000 hertz of audio. And so everybody is all over that spectrum, low to high to middle. And the right panel is displaying where your cursor's at on that waterfall. The left panel is receiving everything, decoding everything, and showing you who's out there. On the whole band, on the whole FTA. On, the whole, on that whole frequency, yeah. And so what you do is you wait for the ones that are calling CQ and just double click on it. And then your cursor moves to where their signal is and calls them. And, and sometimes it may call several times because they may already be in the middle of another conversation, which you oh, would see, see on your screen in the right panel because you're not. I see. Frequency. But once you double click on the left side, you just be patient, correct? Right. Just wait for things to start getting decoded. Watch what's there. And then uh, if you want, on your waterfall, uh, control click somewhere where there's no signal in the waterfall in that application. Then you can click on the CQ button or click on yeah. transmit, but you're, you're in your list there on the right side, you'll be selecting the bottom, which is you calling CQ. And just right. let it I, run. I saw that, right. Yeah. It's pretty simple once you get into it. And if you got it all tied to your logging program, then your new win for ICOM? No, I'm I'm having trouble getting that. That the setup for that, the YouTube video people who describe how to do that are either so long-winded I lose interest, or they're too fast-paced for me to figure out what they're doing. And uh, some of them, some of them are figuring out what they're doing while they're making the instructional video. It just drives me nuts. Are you, you know, I, I don't know taking? why, I don't know why taking? people, uh, <laughs> when they want to make an instructional video, they should just write down the steps that work and then succinctly talk to those points instead of wandering all over the universe, trying to figure out what they want to say. Are you taking, that's notes? just my comment. Yeah. Are you taking note of what it, what it's like being 
long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about myself, naturally. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, funny. You know, so anyway, uh, my, congratulations, my congratulations, by the way, on getting your station set up. You've done a fantastic job. Well, thank you. Uh, my buddy came over to help put up the infed long wire up. He attached it to the house. Just, you know, I could have done that, but my wife would panic. It's okay if somebody else falls off a ladder. She just doesn't <laughs> want me to fall off the ladder. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, one of the board members of the HOA came over and loan me his harness, you know, for a safety rope. So I don't think I'm going to have any problem with the HOA. Oh, you know, and there, when, when that, when that thing was up, you can't even see it really. Yeah. No, that's a good choice of antenna. Now you've got to check your SWR and all those bands using your new nano VNA. Yes. Uh, I thought I would have to do that. You know, when I, Turned the radio on yesterday and got nothing but noise. I thought I was going to have to haul it out then and see if I had a short somewhere, but uh, I just had to be patient and wait yeah. until wait until uh, the band cleared up. Yeah, and then I could I could hear people and I could hear CW, but you know these old ears had trouble copying that CW. It seems yeah. like they're sending, most people like could get a clear signal on, we're sending about 20 words a minute. And right now, my brain is operating at five words a minute. Well, some of those guys are cheating, you know. They're using computer, and they don't even know code very well themselves, probably. You know, well, that's like right. Other yeah. mode, just like any other mode, you can do it right there, and I think WSJTX, you can select CW. And you set it for whatever speed you want and just type on your keyboard. Well, that that I would not do, I don't think. I saw that I think Win for ICOM Suite also has a, a CW feature that you yeah. can type into a window and it will send it. Yeah. That just seems think. like, that just, that don't seem right to me. <laughs> I don't do that either. I you can't ever really decode it that well anyway. Once in a while, I might throw it in the background as just a backup, you know, for reading. I, I don't send it that way. I'd rather send and receive just using my my body. But it's a new challenge. You know, now I'm trying to, trying to figure out. I remember there are, you know, abbreviations when you're doing a code uh, contact, there's a certain process you go through and all this. And I'm, I'm trying to find I bought an ARRL book on CW and uh, went through a little bit of it last night. And so far it's disappointing. It's a rather thin book. So professor Jim, um, yes. Now that you've completed your station and I know we have probably many, new hams or maybe like yourself, old hams that have never really gotten into sideband and HF before, and you've done such a thorough job. Why don't you give us your story about 
how you built your station, why you picked the radio and the different materials that, that you have used, um, and maybe sum it up with like a, a total cost. So people can kind of get an idea. <laughs> so people can kind of get an idea of what they're looking at to get a HF station set up. Well, be as succinct as you can. You're asking a professor to be succinct. <laughs> I'll try. Well, um, I ask lots of questions of you, and I dutifully wrote everything down. And I went to YouTube. I listened to a number of Dave Kessler's uh, videos, who I, I find very helpful in basic knowledge, and uh, did a lot of Googling. And, of course, I was trying to keep the cost down. And in my early research, I'd kind of settled on an ICOM 7300, is a, um, it's really an SDR radio, and that appealed to me. It's an SDR radio with knobs. And uh, so that's what I thought I wanted. And then I happened on to a Dave Kessler video series on what he calls his reference station. And you can Google Kessler's last name, C-A-S-L-E-R, and reference station, and you will find a series of videos. And he decided to buy everything in what he decided would be his basic reference station and uh, describe its use. And he's, though he has Yesu radios himself, he picked the ICOM 7300. And I thought, aha. If the Guru Kessler has picked the same uh, transceiver that I picked, I must be a genius. <laughs> so that, that, that confirmed my idea that that was the radio I wanted. So that settled. And, and it's one of the more inexpensive ones out there, actually. And it's around, uh, there's a rebate going now. Uh, it's an instant rebate and a mail-in rebate, and you can get that transceiver for a thousand dollars. So that's the the basic cost is a thousand. Then you add, uh, at your suggestion, I got a myantenna.com in-fed long wire, and as I recall, that was about three hundred. I can't remember exactly. And then you've got uh, coax cost and and coax connectors cost and uh, ground rod, lightning arresters. Lightning arresters are about 75 bucks. So however many antennas you're going to put up, you're going to need one of those per antenna. And uh, I got a, a coax and uh, a pass-through for my sliding window in the basement so I could route things inside easily. Now, you can make those yourself, but I decided to just buy one that was commercially made by what is it? MJR? Is that the company? MF, MFJ. MFJ. MFJ it makes a nice pass-through. And I have it vertically mounted because uh, most people mount them horizontally. 
Mine is vertically mounted, and of course, it works just the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, I did. Uh, it's cedar wood, and cedar wood doesn't rot readily. But I did coat it with an external uh, polyurethane uh, just for extra protection. And uh, then picking up on one of Kessler's reference stations antenna mast. This was a great idea from Kessler. You get two top rails for a chain link fence, and these are available in Home Depot and presumably other big box stores. These are 10 feet long, and they nest. Uh, there's a slight indent in one end of each of them, and you just uh, you can nest them together. So I got two of those. That gives me 20 feet of height. And Kessler's reference uh, antenna mast uses guy ropes. But I, uh, I have a very friendly neighbor who has a fence line that abuts my backyard. And he agreed to let me put up whatever I wanted to on one of his fence posts. And so instead of using guy ropes... I got four uh, five sixteenths uh, leg screws, galvanized leg screws, and drilled four holes in the bottom section of that 20 foot mast and leg screwed the bottom to that fence post. So I don't have guy ropes at all. Yeah, but I did use his. Uh, pulley at the top and rope system, the exactly the same that's in his reference antenna system, to haul the end of the antenna up, and uh, so that was that was it. And oh, I have a, a power distribution system and a a Samlex thirteen point eight volt power supply, and I got the one that Kessler recommended, and I got the power distribution system from, uh, oh, what is it, Rig Runner, uh, that Kessler recommended. So I've, I've taken a lot of advice from both you and Dave Kessler to put together my station. And I did get a Kent Keir because I've convinced myself I, I will relearn Morse code and I will make Morse code contacts. And the 7300 is a built-in keyer, so all I needed was the key. And, uh, you know, a one-inch wide copper strap for the ground. My desk has a four-inch backstop. Um, and I just screwed the copper strap to the back of the backstop strap. And my grounds for my equipment go to that. So... And though I am a Mac guy, I, I almost bleed Mac blood. <laughs> I did get a Dell computer because uh, some software that is of interest to me uh, that deals with ham radio is Windows only. Um, the rig control software I'm exploring right now is uh, when the numeral four ICOM suite, which is Windows only, and it's, uh, it's I think it's Windows only, and uh, 
is designed especially for ICOM radios. So that's piqued my interest. So that's that's the kind of the the way I put together the station. Uh, so to some knowledgeable hams that have gone before and have learned, um, you can always learn from. And uh, Denny, K5DZC, was one of my mentors. And I've, I've now joined a couple of local clubs, and I expect to have more. Um, so people around you who've been around for a while are a source of information. And then Google is your friend. Uh, <laughs> Google whatever you're interested in, and stuff will pop up. Some of it well done. I I would rate Kessler's videos as well done. Uh, some, I wish they would organize themselves before they turned on the video camera. Uh, so there's a full range of <clears throat> expertise or ability to produce an instructional video, I should say. There's a full range from just awful and you, you watch a couple of minutes and say, oh, I can't stand this to others that are well done and you can uh, go all the way to the end and learn something. But Google is your friend and when you're trying to learn something new. Ova? <laughs> Very good. Well, so wrapping it up for cost, uh, under 2000 About 2000 I would say. I'm at round figures about 2000 that's a lot of dough for some people. Uh, it why is. would anybody? Why would anybody want to go down this road? Do you think? I mean, why did you? you you've been well, happy the, for fifty years just doing digital. In fact, uh, that it all started with our conversation on D Star. I, I really don't know. I mean, uh, I I tend to uh, be interested in a lot of things, and when I <clears throat> when something piques my interest I just go whole hog so to speak and <clears throat> I, I really don't know you know I guess I was hampered for a while I live in an HOA and of course there's antenna restrictions and my thinking sort of uh, about the restrictions maybe have maybe inhibited me and I finally decide oh what the heck I'm just going to do it and try to pick antennas that are a bit more stealthy for example my long wire which is 34 feet long goes from my house out across the backyard to my neighbor's fence post and that and the neighbor's fence post is not in the hoa so there's just <laughs> this little black wire up in the air that yeah. that goes off the hoa property so I, i'm not concerned about that and one of the board members came over and loaned me a safety harness and uh, to put up the antenna. So, uh, and then I'm I'm going to build a six meter antenna uh, of John Portune's design. I need one more part for that. I've got all the parts for that to build that. Now, so let's just take how how you can reduce cost. Uh, I bought uh, an infid long wire that's commercially available. By the way, you said 34 feet. That's 132 or 134 feet, right? Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yes. Okay. I'm just off by a decimal point. <laughs> so 
don't don't think what I say is precise. You might have to add a decimal point or two or subtract a decimal <laughs> point or two. And so, yeah, I bought a commercial antenna that was, what, $300 or something. I can't remember. It, it's not inexpensive. Maybe it's 260 well, right around 300 Maybe a little less, maybe a little more. But you, you could easily build a dipole yourself for a lot cheaper than that. You can get on the air without buying a $300 antenna, for example. And there are cheaper radios, too. Uh, it's just this one is really, really packed with features for the money. Not bad for a beginning radio, a beginner. No. Or <laughs> you know, like, I think that's um, how they market it, don't they? It's kind of they, the they, entry They level. market it as a beginning radio. That's right. Wow. And... and Depending on how much stuff you have around, I bought a, for example, the pass through that was about a hundred dollars, but you could easily build one yourself. It w but anything you build yourself is going to take your time. And what I wanted to do was just shorten the time it would take me to get on the air. So I went the route of buying a lot of stuff that otherwise. If I was a teenager or early in the hobby when I got my license, uh, I would have probably built a lot of stuff and did in those days. I even built power supplies in those days. Well, very good. Uh, sounds exciting. And I was wondering as far as uh, an answer to the question, why would you go down this route? I was surprised you didn't say it all depends. Humans are naturally inquisitive. And it takes you down... There are lots of forks in the road, right? And if you're inquisitive, you like to explore, well, what's down that road? In fact, one of the inspirations for visual storytelling is a, a fellow named Dana Ashley. He was a very unusual guy. I met him at a conference and decided he was so interesting, I would bring him to campus. He had a, a performance he gave uh, on the digital stories that he built from his family's artifacts. And he did workshops to teach other people how to use Apple technology to build their own digital stories. Not unlike what you were doing in terms of digitizing your old VHS tapes for your grandchildren and children. And, and that is one of the problems of preserving now digital artifacts is that, that mediums change. We went from 8mm to Super 8 film. Well, that was down from 16mm. And then there was VHS. Um... And, and so every time, and now, who has a VHS player anymore? I mean, now with streaming, you don't need a VHS player. <laughs> so the, the mediums come and go, and important artifacts, you keep having to change to some new medium. So the old analog stuff, we have to convert to digital and we have to make sure that those digital artifacts are properly stored and regenerated and so forth. Um, 
So uh, anyway, Ashley uh, really was inspiring to me. I brought him to campus for his performance. Now, what it, his performance was intriguing. He had a, an Apple laptop, and all he required from the host was a, a projector that could project from a computer, a screen, and a pile of wood. And a, you remember those old TV sets that were that had a built-in VHS? Do you remember those? They were yeah. small, portable, and had a built-in VHS. You could pop a cartridge in there, and it would play. Yeah. And uh, that's all he needed for his performance. He had a stage performance. So he would boot up his laptop, and everything was programmed in Flash in those days. And uh, the the art the uh, metaphor was a drive-in movie. So there was this graphic of a drive-in movie, and there were all these little icons all over the screen. And at the bottom of the screen was a horizontal black bar with a yellow stripe down the middle. And the name of his show was Next Exit. And that came from when he was a kid. His mom and dad would pack he and his brothers into a car and they would take off just to go down the road and explore wherever they thought to turn off the main highway. In other words, the next exit. That was the metaphor for his whole stage show. And he had about 90 icons on the desktop or so. And, uh, he would talk with the audience a little bit and get a feel for that audience and what their interests were and so forth. And as he was talking, he would drag certain icons and drop them on the blacktop road at the bottom of the screen. And he would drag down about 12 to 14 icons because that was the length of his show. And the sequence of the icons on the the road was the sequence of the the way the show would play and he would provide bridge narration between the stories and he had a wonderful voice wonderful voice and he was extremely talented he he composed music he could perform music and so all the music in the show was his music and I'll, just, I'll give you one example of one story that has stuck in my mind. And it's so indicative of the way his extended family thought about artifacts, thought about family artifacts. His parents at some point divorced, and his father uh, remarried, and the wedding was coming up. He was about 10 or 11 years old at that point. And his mother decided he was old enough to travel by himself to go to his father's wedding. Naturally, she did not want to go. And uh, so he, she said, well, now go pack your suitcase. And he did. And uh, she thought she ought to check it out, see what he'd pack before he took off. And she opened the suitcase. 
And she chuckled to herself and took out a piece of paper and a pencil and wrote down what he had packed. So his now he's a, an adult, probably 40 years later. He sits his mother down at the kitchen table, starts the video camera, and has her tell the story. She pulls out the same piece of paper that she had written 30, 40 years earlier and starts reading it. Then the video cuts to the actual suitcase still had been saved. His hands come in and raise the lid of the suitcase and she starts to read what he had packed. And as she read, his hand goes in the suitcase and pulls out the very thing that he had saved from his childhood. Well, there was part of his rock collection. There was his boomerang. There was part of his comic book collection, etc. And all those artifacts were still there, still preserved. And it was hilarious because he hadn't packed any clothes for this trip. <laughs> and so that was a little story. That was a little family story that because all those artifacts had been saved, nothing had been thrown away, he was able to recreate as a visual storyteller. So that little story was one icon that could be dragged down to the road. And that was really inspiring because it, it shows the metaphor of exploration, which is how I started this tale. You know, what, what is it we don't know that we'd like to find out about? And that piques our interest. And we, if you're like me, you kind of, okay, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in learning about 3D printing. I want to relearn. I want to relearn ham radio. I used to know ham radio. I don't know anything now, but it's changed. My gosh, it's changed in 50 years. Mm-hmm. So now it's it's, I'm having the same excitement, the same fun as I had was when I was a teenager and first got my novice license. Isn't that cool? Could it possibly be also part of uh, a rebellion against internet-related stuff? I mean, we're so tied to the internet. It almost has kind of stolen the, the thrill of what ham radio started out to be, and that was communicating wirelessly uh, over the globe. And and the old technology kind of a romanticism going back to what it was like in the old days. Although your SWR, your SDR radio is you know new technology, but it's still it's it's going back to the old original ham radio. And when you get uh, to be our age, you know it, it's kind of part of our journey to kind of go back in time and remember the good old days and how things used to be and realize some of the benefits of of the older original technology and in terms of like a grid down situation, you know, could we lose the internet? And if all we had was a bunch of HTs relying on internet based hotspots, we'll lose all that communication. And so here we've got something that will last and will work, of course, depending on 
solar conditions and things, but basically we'd we'd still have a way to communicate with others on the other side of the globe if we wanted to. That's right. And it, maybe it is rebellion against the Internet, but it also might be rebellion against HOA antenna restrictions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, in your situation, for sure. I don't have that problem. I live in the country yeah. and I can do what I want. <laughs> yes, there's there's a lot to be said for uh, and. My dad was a farmer who taught chemistry for a living. He had a farm for a, a period in his life. And, uh, yeah, you can do anything you want to. I, I revisited the farm a few years back uh, when I was visiting the little town I grew up in. And uh, the barn had... The, well, first of all, the farm had been converted to an Amish compound. So the barn, uh, which had dairy cattle in the first floor of it, and the hayloft was where the hay was kept. And it had a, a kind of a round roof. Well, the barn didn't have a round roof anymore. And the where the hayloft was was the second story and the whole structure had been converted to living quarters for an extended Amish family. And uh, so I, I thought that was really interesting. But it wasn't, it certainly kind of smashed my childhood memories of the farm because nothing was the same. When you go back and visit something, you know, 60 years later, uh, you. you you mentally think it's going to be the same, but it never is. You know, you're kind of a videographer and storyteller with uh, pictures and video. I'm going to give you an assignment, Mr. Professor. Why don't you come up with a video presentation of your station building process and from beginning to end, show us what you did, how you did it, show us the gear, and we'll make that our video cafe cast. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. And one of the things I'm trying to avoid is being sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, here's, I will do that. And, and, I, uh, uh, what, and I think what, it would be better to do it that way than to just say, okay, take your phone and go walk around, show us this stuff. Because I know you're, no, no. you're kind of a detail man. You like to work with the video and, and do all the yep. transitions and make it real creative. And I think I think that'd be awesome to have that as one of our video cafe casts. I will do that after. The, the, now that the radio is working, the, one antenna is up. And a, uh, I understand that six meters is active in late May and June. And so I've got to build John Portoon's six-meter inverted delta, get that on the air. And I've got lots of things to figure out vis-a-vis -vis software. For example, I'm struggling now with getting uh, wind for ICOM Suite to talk to these other applications I'm interested in using, like WJ, is it WJIT hyphen X? W, uh, WSJ, w, X. WSJ hyphen X. 
which does FT8 and other things. And there's a way to interface that with uh, Win for ICOM Suite. And I'm struggling to figure that out because you have to create a bunch of virtual COM ports and assign them and so forth. And I figure I'll try to get that going today. But once I get, in, in other words, um, I just made my first contacts yesterday. I'm not ready to make a video on how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and so on like a percentage scale of what I think in my mind, my task ahead of me, if the whole thing from beginning to end is 100%, I think I'm about 60 to 70%. And when I get accomplished what I want to accomplish and I've got things basically figured out and things are working like they should, then I'll make the video. Because I'm not, I've watched too many instructional videos on YouTube where people uh, are making a video to presumably augment their channel to make money and they're figuring out what they're what they're doing while the video is going and I don't want to do that I want to be unusually succinct for me and in, in terms of the video and also I'm driven nuts by uh, videos on YouTube that don't have accompanying PDFs with all the steps right you know be, because who wants to Okay, you listen to this video, and it's really, really interesting. It's got a lot of content. And you you go through it, and you, oh, yes, I need to know the stuff that was in this video. But there's there's no accompanying text document. There may be a few links, but there's no words to accompany the pictures, in other words. And if you want to, if you want to really get the information down, you have to go back through the video and write things down and so forth. Well, why should you have to do that? Why shouldn't the creator of the instructional video make it easy to download a parts list or to download uh, a step-by-step -step instruction so that you don't have to go right back through the video and write everything down? That just really annoys me. <laughs> well... Did I tell you that you should download JS8 call also? Um, let me see what's on my desktop here. Yes, I have JS8 call. I had I don't know what it does yet, but it's on there already. It's much Tell like me what FT8. it tell me what it does. It's much like FT8 except that we can actually chat. We can mm. talk to each other digitally with keyboard to keyboard. So if you want to get that booted up sometime today, we can try that. We should be able to uh, reach each other on 40 meters without too much difficulty. Well, let me... I should be able to... If I figure out how to interface other software with, uh, with Win for ICOM... Let me boot this and see what it looks like. I should like be able to, to. I'd like to make that an, uh, a, a project for us today is to have contact with one another. And I think this is a pretty easy way to do it. You're good at the keyboard. It's kind of a low signal thing. So even if the signals were weak, we would still be able okay, to. Okay. Well, we'll try that. Maybe this, what, this afternoon sometime? No, sometime right after the podcast here this morning. 
Oh, you're going. <laughs> so here you go again. <laughs> here you go again. <laughs> I was going to figure out how to interface software with Win4ICOM, and now you've got me sidetracked with <laughs> JS8 call. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it after the podcast. Or if you I'm want always- to do a sideband, single sideband, we could do that too. Just pick a frequency on 40 meters and. I'll call you or you call me and we'll, well, we'll get a connection. That'd be kind of fun. Why not both? Yeah, why not? I got all day. I don't think we're doing anything today. We got potential uh, weather coming in, storms and stuff. Tomorrow's going to be very soggy. They're talking four inches of rain here. Glad we went lo- played yesterday. I'm looking at the spectrum on uh, 40, what is seven? Uh, megahertz that's 40 meters right right yeah there's a lot of a lot of stuff on the spectrum showing the now frequency, the frequency we use for js8 call is 7.078 seven just a second i gotta figure out how to i'm gonna do a heartbeat and see if uh seven if anything's eight. going out here Okay, now I got the free. That's the, my transmitter going off here. Just sent out a heartbeat. So if we get any response back, see if there's uh, anybody out there. Yeah, there seems to be on the spectrum scope. I mean. That is an interesting noise in the background you got there. Well, when there's signals, it goes away, but... Yeah. And I, I turned off uh, both both computers in the basement. And I st- that's not, it's not coming from the computers. Okay. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Um, you wanna, yeah. Do you want to do the what-if question of the day? Okay. Well, this sort of concerns, especially people with iPhones. Yesterday, Apple came up with their 14.5 upgrade for um, iOS. So the question is, what if we had more control of our privacy? This is a huge issue in the tech world right now because... Uh, Facebook thinks they're in an absolute war with Apple. Uh, Apple's new update, which just finished while we were on this podcast on my phone, now is giving the user control over how various apps can track your personal information. And we see this all the time when you, you do a search for something and suddenly an ad pops up in Facebook for that same thing. And Facebook's revenue is driven by ads. That's where, the, I mean, you, it doesn't cost anything to get on Facebook. Their revenue is ad revenue. And they depend on pushing ads out to your Facebook, for example. So Facebook's very concerned about Apple's announced plans that came to fruition yesterday. Uh, and and Apple, <laughs> in response to Facebook, Tim Cook simply said, well, my concern is Apple and, 
and Apple customers, not Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which is, so, uh, for one, uh, and this is the question, what if we, we had more or total control on what personal information we allow uh, the software that we use every day uh, to have and use or perhaps sell uh, to other tech companies who might make use of it to invade our personal bubble of electronic space. Uh, Harking back to Edward T. Hall's research on proxemics um, that we talked about the other day. So what do you think about that? You have an iPhone, correct? Mm-hmm. Are you going to enjoy denying apps access to your personal information? I'm personally not terribly worried about it. Uh, I have nothing to hide. Of course, we all say that. But um, it really bothers my wife, especially our uh, our Echo Dot. It listens all the time. In fact, we've had it where it's listening to our conversation. We might be talking about a product or, or something, and uh, next thing you know, it shows up in her Facebook uh, stream as an ad. So we know they're listening, and I know there's proximity-type observations by these apps, too. So you're going into a Walmart, and it knows you're in Walmart, and so it can also put up ads based on your location, which is kind of disconcerting for a lot of people. I don't worry about it. It's it's convenience. It's uh, probably better than getting all these uh, robocalls that are trying to rob you of your money and take advantage of uh, the elderly that aren't quite as savvy about these things. Uh, at least it's legitimate. But no, I, that's one of the reasons I like Apple is they're really trying to protect our privacy. And in many ways, uh, in many ways, they don't always protect your privacy because they're keeping a an ongoing tracking of where you're going. Some of you may have uh, already found website information about that, how you can look at your phone and see where all of the places you've been over the last many months are recorded on that phone. And they can just go in there and see your daily habits, your, your uh, routines, of, you know, going to work or going to this store on this day or whatever. And that kind of uh, bothers me a little bit. It's, it's none of their business. It's my business, but... But, I, like but I, think you, I, I think you can turn that off. Yeah, you can. You can. But most people don't even think about it. No. We have an old friend that just dropped in. I bet you he might have a thought or two on that. Good morning, John. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, been missing y'all. Uh, yeah, we've been missing you. What you been up to? Oh, just, uh, just, just uh, stuff. Life happens. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, glad to hear y'all's voice and glad y'all are still going strong. Yeah, that's a great issue is privacy. Um, I, I have been, I've tried to protect my phone number, and I even have an alternative phone number that I've used, and I've tried to protect my phone number so I wouldn't get stuff. And all of a sudden, I just kind of, in the last few months, have just gotten bombarded, and uh, people you know, call me up wanting me to buy my house and then saying, I say, well, you need to, you know, and and they say, well, I'm going to call your wife's phone number. I'm like, what? How do you know her number? And just, yeah, it's 
privacy can be frustrating, you know, is important sometimes. But I'm also like you, Denny. I don't have a lot. I don't have anything to hide. But uh, but it, you have to kind of think it through, like you said, about um, about, you know, do you want people to them to know exactly where you've been? Maybe we need to cut off some things like Jim said. We can cut some things off. Maybe we need to look at that. Um, you know, cut off some of the location um, things and wh- wh- where it's tracking us. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. A good subject to bring up, Jim. Well, one, one thing that I did during COVID is, um, you know, be- because it actually became, well, let's say you get COVID and then you you want to let the health professionals know where you've been and who you've had contact with and so forth. So I actually turned on a Google tracking thing just in case I did get COVID and I was asked where I've been. I could call that up and, and, uh, and tell people where I've been so they could, from an epidemiology point of view, try to track down other people who might be getting it. Or let them know they might be getting it. And that's good. Th- this discussion is reminding me I need to now go turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had a shot? Have you had a why why do you feel differently? Is it is it slowed down well, your area or what? Yeah, you know, I've I'm fully immunized. I've had two shots, uh, because I'm an old guy, I've had them for a while. And uh so Yep, I even went to a restaurant yesterday. I took the fellow who helped me put up my antenna yesterday, and I took him out to lunch at a restaurant. We had a nice lunch, and uh, so the my perception of risk has gone down considerably. Of course, it doesn't mean you can't get it, but uh, having been fully vaccinated, the odds are that you will. If if you do contract it, it will not be serious and certainly not require hospitalization. So, I have a a, a bicycle ride scheduled across Missouri uh, in mid June, and we decided when we scheduled this that I think there's five or six of us going that we all hike and bike together here in the Indy area, and we decided we'd get separate hotel rooms. We would not double up. You know, it's just to try and keep extra precaution for a while. Absolutely. That's a good idea. You know, the variants could pop in. You don't don't know. Uh, But as a general rule, I think I agree with you that, you know, it's very unlikely if both people are immunized. But, you know, there are variances and you just don't know. You don't want to be part of a new uh, headline. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry to say we lost a, a younger friend yesterday to COVID. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For your oh, my. I think he was uh, probably in his very early 60s and has uh, two kids that are married. He's got some grandkids and oh, he was fighting. He was in the hospital once. They thought he was doing better, sent him home again, but it got worse again. And just a couple of days ago, he went back in the hospital and they put him on a ventilator. And yesterday he passed. Oh, goodness. I, today is actually my 14th day since I had my second vaccine. So. Um, uh, that that's why I was able to get on the on the on the uh, radio because I'm not uh you know I'm not con- I'm not contagious anymore you know I'm not <laughs> so, you know, 
Oh, John. <laughs> we missed you, John. Hey, yeah, I miss you all, guys. Great. How's that antenna working for you? Oh, good. I redid the transformer, put a 20-kilowatt uh, capacitor in it, and uh, put a vent on it so if it gets hot. And uh, In fact, I've got a friend that lives up in North Georgia Mountains, and we're gonna. He's up at two thousand feet. And we're gonna put. Uh, I'm gonna go up there. He's just got his tech license, so I'm gonna show him about what HF is like and, and encourage him to get a general license. By we're gonna put a put an antenna a whole hundred thirty four feet down the side of a a hill, and then uh, run the in in fed halfway, but one hundred thirty four feet full length uh, down the side of his mountain, and, and run my HF on it. Uh, ICOM 718, and uh, play with it uh, for a day, come up in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be good. fun. And encourage Love him to, you know, look and see what, what, what it's like to get HF. And he's got a he's got uh, a two-meter two meter rig, and he can reach about 50 miles with it. It's incredible. Cool. Uh, well, you missed the early part of our podcast here, but Jim's got some exciting news for you. Well, that's about he went on. He's on now, isn't he? Yes, I made my first contacts. The antenna went up yesterday, and I managed to stumble through one FT8 contact. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> and then I was trying to, I couldn't find the log for, hunted around for the log for about an hour, but I found it. And so I can, when I get my logging software downloaded, I can import that. And then uh, last evening, I made a couple of single side bed contacts on 40 meters. One of them was in Canada, and the other one was in Carmel, Indiana, about 10 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good, good. Yeah. Interestingly, the, the signal from Canada was stronger. <laughs> about that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, so, John... What is the last log entry in your logbook? The last log entry? Um, it is a fella in... Um, do you write it in a paper log or do you do it on the computer? I do a paper log. And uh, oh, wow. anyway, it's, uh, it's Robert from up in uh, uh, North Carolina. I, my, mine have been pretty close. What, what uh, software and logs do you use it? I'm using HRD. Yeah. I may just stay with paper log book, but just have a, a, a better organized one. Yeah. Um, well, Jim, Jim's got a new interface package that uh, I never heard of before, but because he's got an icon, he found this other cool one. Tell us. Yeah. It's uh, when the numeral four icon suite, by the way, they, they also make a suite for Yezu and some other radios too. But this uh, brings up a panel that has virtually every feature of the radio um, uh, in the panel, that some of which are hidden behind buttons and menus in the actual radio. Right. So it's, uh, and what intrigued me is it has. Uh, built into this software, it has six virtual machines, sort of, so to speak. 
And these can be set up uh, for other applications like uh, uh, WSJTX, for example, using one. Uh, and you have to install uh, another piece of software called COM0COM. This allows you to set up virtual pairs of COM ports. Right. So, so then what happens is you set up other software to use one of these virtual COM ports you set up, and that piece of software thinks it's talking directly to the radio, but instead it's talking to Win for ICOM. Cool. And when when for ICOM is talking to the radio, and you can have uh, up to six pieces of software talking to uh, when for ICOM, and if you change frequency on the radio, the frequency is changed on all these different pieces of software. Wow! So, so the the possibility of integrating the the logging software and uh, uh, digital modes and so forth, such that when you boot Win for ICOM, it just boots these other pieces of software and these panels come up. And so it seems like it's a, a, a kind of a digital hub for everything you want to do. And it, it transfers the information from the radio to all these other pieces of software, including your logging software. So that's, that just has fascinated me as something I want to try and figure out. And that's, that's why I picked this one to, to try and figure out. Well, I'll tell you what, that sounds great. When I grow up, I'm going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to have to get a Windows machine, though. Oh, yep. really? Oh, I think that's a... I, uh, I, I did get a I did get a Windows machine just because uh, some of the software that's out there that's pretty cool is Windows only and uh, yeah if if I replace something for the for the for the ham shack I definitely just gonna get a Windows machine that's no doubt about it I've already got a screen couple screens monitors I've got keyboards all I need is just a you know a machine. Well, I explored with one of our regulars, Andre from Armenia, who's a tech guy. I explored build, building one, and it turns out it's actually more expensive to build one. Even an inex- a bottom line build with a cheap motherboard and a cheap processor. By the time you get all the pieces, it's it it turns out it's going to cost as much or more. Than what you can get a Dell at Costco for. So I, since I'm a Costco member, I just got a Dell at Costco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably a good decision. Um, you know, you can get uh, you can get basic Dells for about five, six hundred dollars. Some of them seven, eight. Yeah. Well, that yes, uh, and that's more like four at Costco. Oh really? What did it cost at Costco? A four. I, it was. Four. I I got a Dell that that is marketed for six hundred, and I got it for four hundred at Costco. Oh gosh! Well, that was that's an easy, that's a no brainer. That's what I need to do then. Here's the deal: you can't get the inexpensive CPUs because 
bots buy them when they're available and mark them up on eBay. And the you can get a you can get a CPU for that cost eight hundred dollars just for the CPU. And these are designed for gaming because these these gamers have to have the or think they have to have the super fast uh, CPUs and so forth. Yeah. And uh, so the CPUs are actually short in supply right now. Oh wow! Yeah. And so it turns out, you know, when you cost everything out. Yeah, just a, a, a Costco also has HP computers, so you you got your choice of HP or Dell at a reasonable price. At at something that you probably couldn't build a computer for. Oh no, no, not for four hundred dollars. No way. There's no way. I've I've the, the numbers back a couple of years ago were were not and not even with the shortage of circ of uh of chips that was that would be very good price. Uh, that's yeah, that's a good deal. That's a great idea. Uh, when I grow up, I'm going to do that. <laughs> that's a good idea. I like that. That's y'all got some good ideas on here. John, have you seen our video cafe cast where we interviewed John Portoon? Gosh, I saw that. I haven't looked at it. I need to look at that. Gosh, I'm going to put that on he's, my. He's a very cool guy. I mean, he... yeah. He he is uh, forgotten more than I'll ever learn. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. What what did he talk about? John Portoon, W6NBC out of Los Angeles. Well, I don't think he's in Los Angeles anymore, but he is the resident expert on slot antennas. Slot he is a recognized lot slot S L O T slot antennas. It's very very interesting stuff. But he is uh, a prolific writer. He's had. Uh, Many of his articles published in QST and won awards for them. Oh, and wow. He, he shared all about, he's got a PowerPoint presentation that actually Jim had heard at his local club, a remote presentation, uh, all about slot antennas. So we had him do the whole presentation uh, PowerPoint there for our video cafe cast. So you'll have to watch oh, it. Oh, gosh, I look forward to it, man. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Knowing know. how you like to build antennas, you will fall in love with what he's doing. Oh, great, yep. man. The thing about these, and he has some folded slots, like you can you, you can build a folded slot two meter antenna out of half inch copper pipe, and it it looks like a little cube. Wow! And you look at you look at that thing and go, how in the heck does that work? But it's all the theory of slot antennas, and he's built some really innovative designs, and the whole concept of slot antennas is just fascinating to learn about oh but, gosh that sounds great i mean i'm i'm looking at alternatives here for the future that's that's great man and he 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 lives in a i think he lives in a mobile home in a situation where they also have antenna rules so he tries to design stealth antennas for hoas and uh, right now i'm building one of his designs for an inverted delta for six meters and it's going to be oh, it's ground mounted. So basically, uh, you it it sort of looks like a uh, a flat topped kite. It's about thirty oh, I, if I remember correctly, it's about thirty three inches across the top, and the two downward pieces are ten feet pieces of copper, uh, 
with a bend in them so that the the bottom of the antenna is about three or four inches apart and the top is 33 inches apart uh but the the bottom part of it runs straight up and parallel for a ways and then bends out to the 33 inches and that straight part at the bottom is where you put your feed point and your tuning point so you can tune these things to lowest swr and then you can tune the frequency some and it's a pretty good six meter antenna and it's ground mounted it in wow. fact it, wor it works just as well as it on the ground as it does 10 feet high so why not put it on the ground yeah. and he hangs flags off of his you know so it looks like a, a flag mounting gizmo but actually it's a six meter antenna what did yeah did you make are you making one i am making one he's how, he how has a, the cop how do you bend the copper how do you get the angles right oh that that's easy you know, uh, for copper, you, you have these right angle pieces, and the bottom uses right angle pieces across the bottom to, to solder the copper together. But the top is an odd angle, right? So what he does is he takes the, 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 uh, the end of the copper that's at the top, puts it in a vise, and cranks the vise shut. So now you've got a flat piece. And so you just drill a, a hole for the bolt. He uses stainless steel bolts. You drill a hole through the flat piece, and your cross beam at the top, the 33-inch 33, the 33 piece or however long it is, you squash both ends of it and drill a hole in it, and you just bolt it together at the top. And the, the angle doesn't matter because you just got two flat pieces uh, uh, bonding together with a bolt. Wow. That's 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 incredible ideas, man. That's that's amazing. That's innovative, man. That's cool. When I grow and up, I'm gonna do that too. And he's got a <laughs> uh, a ballon at the bottom. He uses uh, some thin coax to feed, and and the thin coax uh, wraps around uh, on a 3D printed piece that he's put up. I've downloaded that. I haven't printed it yet. It's about a seven-hour print, so I'm waiting till I have time. Yeah, right. I'm waiting till I, I'm waiting till I have seven hours to watch that printer print. <laughs> <laughs> John, uh, Jim printed a really nice uh, 3D case for my Nano VNA. If you look at the history here in uh, the chat, you'll see some pictures of it, and I think I have a video in there too. But it got my call sign in it and everything. Very cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was on here when he was talking. Y'all were talking about it. Uh, that was, but, but I hadn't seen the pictures. I'll look back on the pictures. That's cool. But I want to see you, this video, John Pro, uh, John uh, Froton. Fortune. Fortune. Fortune, the slot man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Looking you, forward to that. That's going to be great. Y'all are doing some good stuff, man. Well, just, well, just our audience is growing. I just checked again today. We are up to 425 unique listeners in the last seven days. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome, dude. You're doing well. You're doing well. We're just having fun. Anyway, guys, it's been a great morning. Thank you so much for all you shared. And uh, congratulations, Jim, on your new station. And enjoy the journey. Uh, we'll work each other here soon, and you can add me to your logbook. Thank you. Well, and 7-3 to John and Denny. 
and whoever else may be listening. 7-3. 7-3, guys. Hi, this is Extra Class Amateur Radio Operator, K5DCC. I just upgraded to my Extra Class last year. You know how I did it? I used HamTest Online. Did you know that HamTest Online is the top-rated study program on eham.net? 97% of reviewers gave them five stars. They have more five-star user reviews than all other study methods combined. And success is guaranteed. If you fail the amateur radio license exam, they will refund your subscription. It's a no-brainer. You pass the exam or get a full refund. Try it for yourself at hamtestonline.com. Hello, cafeers. Denny J. here in the beautiful Ozarks of Northwest Arkansas, out in the country, 25 miles from any large city. Out here in the country, we struggle to get good internet. Maybe you have the same problem. If you live in a rural area, you don't have many options. It's either satellite or DSL or cellular. And believe me, we've tried them all. Just recently, I was more than happy to pay the penalty to get out of our satellite service. Latency was horrible, and for amateur radio communications, the delays were up to five seconds, and uh, you've probably experienced what that's like. Our DSL service was also very unreliable. We rarely got the speeds that we were promised, and it kept dropping out. But now I think I found a service that we're going to love. It's called Visible.com. It's a company that's owned by Verizon, and kind of a paired-back service but works beautifully for my situation here out in the country on 15 acres. Visible.com offers only one plan. It's unlimited everything, unlimited calls, text, and internet at slightly slower speeds than their top drawer plan at Verizon. But it does use the Verizon network. Go to Visible.com and use my referral code, 3 November 37 November Tango. Also, to get your $40 a month bill reduced to $25, you need to be part of a party pay group. You can join me in our Digicom Cafe party. You will find the link to these things down in the show notes here, along with links to our Digicom Cafe community portal, which is a Facebook alternative. Also, our Telegram community, where we have text and voice chat, and also our live cafe cast here in the Digicom Cafe. So get your line at visible.com. And again, use my referral code and join our party to get that bill down to $25 a month. Thank you for listening to this radio on the Rocks Cafe Cast. We invite you to join our Mighty Networks Amateur Radio Community at members.digicomcafe.com. <laughs>